Chapter 29 of Zafloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anthony Gerges of the Tide Pod Podcast. Zafloya by Charlotte Dacker, Chapter 29. Never had the sun risen on a day of equal horror to that which succeeded the one just described. Scarce had its first beam played into the chamber of Enriquez ere sleep forsook his eyes, and with that all the traces of the wild delirium that had possessed his brain on the preceding day. Yes, the delusion was at an end. Scarce could his frenzied gaze believe the sight which presented itself. Not the fair Lilla, the betrothed and heart-witted wife of his bosom, but Victoria, appearing Lilla no longer, blasting his strained eyes with her hatred image, sleeping still overpowered her senses, unconscious of the horror she inspired. Those black-fringed eyelids reposing upon a cheek of dark and animated hue, those raven tresses hanging unconfined, oh, sad, oh, damning proofs! Where was the fair enamel cheek, the flaxen ringlets of the delicate lilla? Real madness now seized the brain of the wretched Enriquez, his eyeballs bursting from their sockets furiously rolled till he could gaze no longer. A frantic cry escaped his lips. It was the inarticulate name of lilla. As springing, a raging maniac from the bed, he snatched a sword that hung on the opposite wall, and dashing its hilt on the floor threw himself in desperate agony upon its point. Exposed, defenseless as he was, it entered instantly his beating breast, and he sunk to the ground, bathed in his purple gore. Victoria had awakened as he sprang from the bed, but not in time to prevent his dreadful and unthought-for deed. She reached him only as he fell, casting herself wildly on his knees beside him, raised his head upon her bosom. At her touch, strong, convulsive shuddering seized the frame of the dying Enriquez. He sought to lift his head from her breast and dash it to the ground, when finding himself incapable of doing so, his agonies increased tenfold. For a moment his closing eyes gazed upon her, as in desire of vengeance, but the strong emotion expired with his fleeting breath, and a harrowing smile, smile of despairing triumph, passed over his waning features, as though he would have said, Thus do I escape thee, forever persecuting fiend. No words passed his lips, no sigh heaved his bosom, and exulting in his agonies, he died. Thus vanishing at once, Victoria beheld her death-reared visions. Frantic raised, fired her soul at the thought, and keen disappointment maddened her brain. Now she clasped her hands and twisted her fingers in each other, and now tore by handfuls the hair from her head, strewing it in agony over the lifeless body of Enriquez. At length her violence subsided. A sudden portentous calm took possession of her mind, and she started on her feet. Wildly she seized her dagger, and throwing a few cloths over her, revolved her in her mind a confusion of horrible intent. Quitting hastily the chamber of despair and death, yet instinctively securing the door after her, she spread her way into the forest. Scarce was she herself conscious of the dire purpose that throbbed at her heart, yet her steps were directed towards that fatal spot, where in hopeless imprisonment the miserable Lilla still languished. New nerved with hellish strength, she ascended the sloping rock. Now the cataract foamed loud in her ears, the rapidity of her movements increased, scarcely she felt the rugged ground, the mountainous steep appeared a level path, and yawning precipices inspired no dread. At length she beheld herself, where instinctive rage and terrible despair had led her. Till this moment never had she visited the defenseless object of her hate and vengeance, indifferent to her state, whether of death or long protracted torment. Never had she thought of Zafloya aught concerning her, and unnoticed even on this fatal morn, had she still remained but the horrible purpose that had seized her soul, a purpose fitted as the catastrophe to the scenes which had preceded it.
Without pause to take breath, she rushed hastily down the rugged descent, which led into the gloomy dungeon of the orphan Lilla. The sight that then presented herself, instead of softening the fierce range of her bosom, extended on the flinty ground lay the emaciated and almost expiring girl, her pale cheek reposing on her snowy arm, barely preserving it from unworthy contact with its rocky pillow. Beside her were some coarse fragments of scanty food. Victoria approaching raised her dagger, which she firmly grasped, and seizing her chained wrist, loudly commanded her to rise. With trembling limbs, the feeble Lilla endeavored to obey. Over her alabaster shoulder was thrown a mantle of leopard skin brought to her by Zafloya, and her flaxen tresses hung around her in mournful disorder. Clasping her thin hands upon her polished bosom, and with some of her long tresses still in pure unaltered modesty, essaying to veil it, she raised her eyes of heavenly blue to the stern and frantic countenance of her gloomy persecutor, appearing in figure, grace, and attitude a miniature semblance of the Medician Venus. Minion! Accursed child! wildly shrieked the maddened Victoria. Prepare for death! For even in the state of forlornness of woe, the seraph beauty of the orphan Lilla, rising preeminent to the circumstance and situation, excited her jealousy and renewed her range. Ah, Victoria, in mournful accents she cried, is it you, you then who would kill me? I thought, I hoped, only that your angry looks bid me doubt that you came here to give me liberty. I do, wretch, puny babbler, she answered. Behold! unloosing with frantic violence the chain from her wrist. I come to give thee liberty, the liberty of death. Alas, Victoria, in what then have I offended you, that you should hate me thus? Ah, I consider I am but a poor and friendless orphan, who can never do you ill. Peace, I say, puppet, shrieked Victoria. Thou hast already done me more ill than the sacrifice of thy worthless life can repay. Follow me. I cannot walk, I cannot follow you indeed, sobbed the innocent Lilla, while the tears rolled fast down her snow-white cheeks. Then will I teach thee, cried Victoria, and seizing her by the arm, dragged her over the rugged ground and up the irregular ascent, while her delicate feet, naked and defenseless to the pointed rock, left their blood-red traces at every step. Still to the uttermost height she forced, relentless, her panting victim. Now look down, she cried, a bottomless abyss yawned at the mountain's base, and from the opposite side the tumbling torrent rushed furious over immense projections, till the finding receptacle of the abyss, it dashed down its rugged sides into the cavity below. Seest thou? cried Victoria again. Now then, stand firm, beautiful and conquerable Lilla, thou whom no art could root from the breast of Enriquez. Stand firm, I say, for now I push thee headlong. Oh, mercy, mercy, shrieked in accents of agony the terrified Lilla, clinging with the strength of horror around the body of Victoria. Oh, sweet Victoria, remember we have been friends. I love thee, nay, even now I love thee, and believe that thou art mad. Oh, think, think we have been companions, bedfellows. Sweet and gentle Victoria, murder not then the friendless Lilla, who for worlds would not injure thee. I tell thee, thou shalt die, wretch, wert thou not the beloved of Henriquez? Henriquez? Ah, me, I was indeed. But where? Where is Henriquez now, Victoria? Dead, dead, with a fiend-like laugh, cried Victoria. Let me send thee to him. Dead? Ah, cruel Victoria, murdered by thee? Murdered by thee, viper, fiercely returned Victoria. T'was thee who plunged the sword into his breast. Thy accursed image reveling there impelled him to the frantic deed. Leave thy hold, I say, or by heaven I will dash thee at once down the rock. 
Oh, Enriquez, art thou indeed gone? Yes, yes, or the wretched Lilla would not be thus. No one would dare, she sobbed, while thou wert near, thus to treat the miserable Lilla. No hope, no happiness for her now in lengthened life. Die then at once, presumptuous babbler, exclaimed Victoria, endeavoring to shake off the firmly clinging form of the defenseless Lilla. Ah, dearest Victoria, I'm afraid of so terrible a death. If I must die, be it then the same death as my Enrique suffered. Plunge thy stiletto into my heart. That will I do, cried the enraged Victoria, and dashed thee headlong beside. Raising her dagger high, she sought then to plunge it in the fair bosom of the beauteous orphan. But she, suddenly relinquishing her hold, the point of the dagger wounded only her uplifted hand, and glancing across her alabaster shoulder, the blood that issued thin slightly tinged her flaxen tresses with a brilliant red. The courage of the wretched Lilla forsook her, the death she had preferred her innocent soul shrunk from enduring, but perceiving that Victoria was desperate and determined, she resolved to make a last effort for her life. Again, the fell poignard was uplifted for surer aim, while springing from her knees on which she had cast herself to implore mercy, she forgot at once her wounds and her weakness, and endeavored by speed to escape her barbarous enemy, seeming as she wildly flew the beauteous and timid spirit of the solitude. Nerved anew by this feeble attempt to escape her vengeance, Victoria pursued her flying victim. At the uttermost edge of the mountain, she gained upon her, when Lilla, perceiving that hope of escape was vain, caught frantic for safety at the scathed branches of a blasted oak, that bowed by repeated storms hung almost perpendicularly over the yawning depth beneath. Round these she twisted her slender arms, while waving to and fro with her gentle weight over the immeasurable abyss, they seemed to promise but precarious support. Victoria advanced with furious looks. She shook the branches of the tree that Lilla might fall headlong. In horror at this terrible menace, the miserable girl quitted suddenly her hold, and on the brink of the mountain sought despairingly to grapple with the superior force of her adversary. Her powers were soon exhausted, when clasping together her hands and looking piteously upon that which had received the wound, from whence the blood now streamed up to her elbow, she exclaimed, Barbarious Victoria, look down upon me, behold what thou hast done, and let the blood thou hast shed appease thee. Ah, little did I think, when a deserted orphan invited by thee to remain beneath thy roof, that such would be my miserable fate. Remember that, Victoria. Have pity on me, and I will pray of heaven to forgive thee the past. The only answer of Victoria was a wild laugh, and again she raised the poignard to strike. "'Is it even so, then?' cried the despairing Lilla. "'Take then my life, Victoria. Take it at once. But kill me, I implore, with that same dagger with which you murdered Enriquez, because he loved me more than he did you.' Fired to madness by this accusation and the concluding remark, Victoria, no longer mistress of her actions, nor desiring to be so, seized by her streaming tresses the fragile lilla and held her back with her poignard she stabbed her in the bosom in the shoulder and other parts the expiring lilla sank upon her knees victoria pursued her blows she covered her fair body with innumerable wounds then dashed her headlong over the sharp edge of the steep her fairy form bounded as it fell against the projecting crags of the mountain diminishing to the sight of her cruel enemy who followed it far as her eye could reach Soon as a hollow momentary sound struck on the rapt ear of Victoria, informing her that Lilla was sunk into her grave, no more to write, she hastened from the dreadful spot in a state of mind which, if exalting, was far from being at ease, possessed rather with the madness and confusion of hell. 
A certain trepidation of spirits that she had never before experienced caused her to rush along with even greater rapidity, if possible, than she had used in her way thither. Though sinking with fatigue, she durst not abide in these gloomy solitudes to rest. She feared even to turn her head, lest the mangled form of Lilla, risen from the steam, should be pursuing her. Now precipices yawned at her feet, and now that lovely form, bounding from crag to crag, seemed at every turn to meet her view. Those fair tresses dyed in crimson gore, that bleeding bosom was before her, and now the agonized shrieks for mercy rang in her distracted ears. At length she passed the melts, and issued into the forest from the narrow break that led to them. At this moment, the moor, Zofloya, appeared before her, as if he had there awaited her coming. Victoria, he cried, in a voice less sweet than usual, and with a brow more gloomy, thou art too precipitate, and thereby hastenest thy fate. Why hast thou destroyed the orphan Lilla? The deed was premature, and thou wilt repent it. Meantime, enter not the castle, for evil awaits thee there. Who told thee I had murdered the orphan Lilla? haughtily returned Victoria. But if I have, the deed is mine, and I will answer it. Stand aside, Moor. The castle is mine, and I will enter it. Do so, said the Moor with a bitter smile, and thereby court the fate thou mightest yet a little have protracted. The consequences beyond my own head, answered Victoria. I will pass. Thou shalt. But remember, poor Victoria, that independently of me thou canst not even breathe. With a look of scorn and disgust at the changed manner of the moor, Victoria turned from him and pursued her way. Her mind, already in a ferment, could brook no additional irritation. Just as she reached the castle, she beheld Zofloya entering before her, yet she had not seen him pass her, and he had even remained some moments upon the spot where she had encountered him. This circumstance excited some slight surprise, but objects of higher consequence engaged her mind, and she followed him into the castle. Her first step was to repair to the chamber of Enriquez. It immediately appeared to her that no one had found entrance to it during her absence. The lifeless body bathed in its blood still remained extended on the floor, and all was in the state where she had left it. She decided, therefore, despising in her mind the false prophecies of Zofloya, to secure the door without as yet making known the death of Enriquez. His non-appearance, she readily conceived, would excite no immediate remark, he having frequently of late passed the whole of the day in his chamber. Thus she determined, for her mind was a chaos and could suggest no better conduct for the moment, to make fast the door, repairing then to the solitude of her own apartment. She secured it likewise, and throwing herself upon her bed, desired to take a retrospect of the past, and consider, if possible, respecting the future. She endeavored to collect her wandering thoughts, but instead of this, an unconquerable lassitude crept over her, accompanied by a disposition to sleep. In vain she tried to shake it off. The influence became restless, her eyelids involuntarily closed, and she was compelled to yield to a power superior to her will. Total forgetfulness, however, did not ensue. She experienced a sensation similar to that of persons who have taken too large a quantity of opium to allow of calm, undisturbed repose. To herself, her eyes appeared as if strained to their fullest extent. Strange visions swam in her sight, yet unable to trust the delusion, she believed herself under the unconquerable horrors of a waking dream. 
Now the ringing of bells sounded in her ears, and now she beheld herself transported into an apartment, distant from the habitable part of the castle, and which, ever since the deaths of Berenza, had not even been opened. In this room, formerly there, had stood a huge iron chest. This she had once seen, now likewise it was present to her view, and she recognized it. Suddenly the door of the apartment was thrown open, and a number of persons appeared rushing in, consisting chiefly of the domestics of the castle. One, however, preceded the rest, and him her mind identified for the old and favorite servant of Berenza named Antonio. With horror and perturbation in his looks, Antonio seemed rapidly advancing towards the chest and calling aloud for some of his companions to assist him. By their joint efforts, they raised the lid. This was no sooner accomplished than a shout of universal horror prevailed, accompanied by the strongest marks of terror and perturbation. The cause was presently explained. Forth from the chest they drew the disclosed half-moldered skeleton that once had been Berenza. At this sight of horror, it seemed to her that with animated gestures of indignation and revenge, they unanimously rushed towards her to drag her from her bed. In the midst of this terrible scene, Zafloya entered. At once the crowd vanished, the confusion ceased, and in indescribable agony she awoke, while the cold drops of terror bedewed her forehead. On opening her eyes, the first object she beheld was the moor, standing in fixed attitude at the foot of her bed. His aspect was frigid and severe, yet his eyes shone with lambert fire, as a dark thundercloud emits the vivid flame. Conceiving the whole to be still delusion, she cast her eyes anxiously around the chamber. It was gloomy and dim, and the evening seemed far advanced. Surprised that she should have slumbered so long, she sought in confusion of mind to throw herself from the bed, when the sweetly solemn voice of Zafloya arrested her movement. Victoria, he said, attend. This morning you unwarily disregarded my words, but nevertheless, for the love I bear towards you, I desire to preserve you from immediate destruction. Already have the unrestrained passions of your soul precipitated your fate, and hasten the shame that waits to overcome you. From that shame, even yet, I offer to rescue you. Listen to what I shall reveal. You have dreamt, but it was no fable. You have slept some hours. The sun had not long passed the horizon when you entered your chamber, and now the evening is drawing to a close. At an early hour of the night, the servant of the deceased Berenza, Antonio, will retire to repose. A fearful dream will awaken him concerning the disappearance of the body of his late master. Actuated by his resistless influence, he will arise and alarm his fellow domestics. He will relate to them his dream, naturally weak and superstitious. They will all be induced to accompany him to the solitary chamber, remote from the habitable part of the castle. There, contained in the iron, they will discover the moldering skeleton of Berenza. O oh, Zofloya, Zofloya, is this thy truth and thy friendship? exclaimed Victoria. Didst thou not promise thou wouldst preserve me from suspicion and from ill? I said not that I could do so forever. Over the body of the Conti I had not eternal power, yet thy own folly and impatience hath hastened. Ah, little could I dream of this reserve, interrupted Victoria. Yet surely, surely it is in thy power to preserve me forever from suspicion. For Zofloya, thou possessest superior power. The future is exposed to thy view. Thou anticipatest events and canst therefore guard against them. Save me then. Save me, I implore thee. From the shame thou sayest awaits me, or wretch shall I consider myself ever to have been confined in thy power or thy promises. The terrible eyes of Zafloya shot fire as they turned their burning glances on Victoria. This is no time, he fiercely exclaimed, for retrospect or idle observation. 
If you repent your confidence, do in the present instance without my assistance. Writhe between the pillars of St. Mark. I may visit you there, perhaps. Farewell. But remember, he added, shaking his finger with a menacing air, remember there is now no escape for you. Oh, strange, mysterious, and to me indefinable being, cried Victoria. Your words, your looks, terrify and confound me. Yet go not, she continued, as with angry though majestic pace. Zofloya moved towards the door. Abandon me not in this crisis, cruel Zofloya. The Moor turned from the door. Fire gleamed no longer in his eyes, but a beautiful and haughty smile diffused itself over his countenance, which appeared like the sun beaming from a gloomy cloud. Well then, once more thou entreatest, he cried. Once more I befriend thee. But beware, Victoria, how again I am reproached. To irritate me now would be vain and impolitic, and sharpen against thyself that sentiment of hate which I bear. But this is irrelevant, he hastily added. Suspicion will, as I said, attach to thee. By what means induced, I scarcely need now explain. The terrible inquisition will drag thee before its tribunal. Infinite confusion will reign in this castle. The chamber of Enriquez will be forced open, for strange surmises begin already to prevail concerning thee, and instantly they will discover that which of itself would damn thee. The body of Enriquez remains bathed in its blood upon the floor of its chamber. Beside it lies thy veil, and diverse articles of dress in which thou were seen yesterday. Thy guilt in the estimation of all will be made clearly evident, but forbearing to alarm thee with the knowledge of their discovery, they will secure thee merely a prisoner in thine own apartment, and dispatch messengers to Venice, for the purpose of making it known and bringing condign punishment on thy head. Need I expatiate upon the events that will follow? Public infamy and public— Oh, spare me, cried Victoria. Horrible is my fate! Yet I swear to these Afloya that I would meet it with indifference if Enrique still lived, and lived for me. Ah, tell me more, didst thou not promise that— Beware, Victoria, to the very extent of my promise have I performed. I swore to thee that Enrique should call thee his, and clasp thee voluntarily to his bosom. I swore to thee that thou shouldst have love. Did I promise thee that this delusion should last forever, or profess to be amenable for those consequences which should follow the completion of my promise? Victoria longed to reply, but awe and terror checked the words that rose to her lips. Yet the idea glanced for an instant through her mind, and bitter was the suggestion, how fleeting and how short-lived had been the moments of precarious pleasure procured for her by Zofloya, yet how terrible and how lasting the evils they had produced. They were, as the passing shadows, the mere mockery only of what they'd promised, while real horrors waited to overwhelm and destroy, attended close upon them. The moor, with a piercing glance, seemed to penetrate her inmost thoughts. A shade of severity passed over his features, and he said, If you hesitate respecting the path you should pursue at present, I leave you free to choose. Victoria clasped her hands. Too well she beheld the desolate prospect before her. Too keenly felt the words of the moor. There appeared indeed no escape for her. Decide, Victoria, cried Zofloya with increased sternness. I do, I do, replied Victoria. I confide in you. I rely on you to save me from the horrors that now encompass me, or to bear me safely through them, to save me from them, Zofloya, she said emphatically, forever. 
To that I pledge myself. You shall be saved forever from the disgrace and horrors that here await you. But you must fly. Fly! Yes, for I cannot turn the tides of events in which I have no concern. I cannot, Victoria, influence the course of justice, nor prevent that from arising, which rises independently of me. Whatever you may deem my power, be assured that although I may induce the occurrence of many events that otherwise might not have been, yet I cannot prevent from occurring flight which is already written in the Book of Fate. And whither then must I fly with an abstracted air, demanded Victoria? Entrust that to me. A few words more, and I go. Take heed that you rest where you are. Resign yourself unresistingly to repose. It will be calm and undisturbed, but deep. On the morrow, when this abode shall be the seat of confusion, when the city of Venice shall be alarmed, and your person be even vociferated for the populace who will surround your palazzo there, then shall you be far from danger, from pursuit, and from Venice. As Zofloya concluded, slightly waving his hand, he suddenly turned and retreated from the apartment with the rapidity of a passing shade. It was now quite dark. Victoria was sensible neither of hunger nor thirst, yet felt a desire to restrain the terrible events that had been crowded into her life. The attempt was vain. A numbing torpor began to creep over her as before. She essayed to conquer it, though contrary to the direction of Zofloya and her incapacity to do so conveyed a bitter pang to her heart, while she felt that she was no longer mistress over herself or her faculties. Chill horror took possession of her, and in an agony of mind that words cannot describe, seeming subject as it were to an unknown power and unable to resist, she hopelessly resigned herself to the arbitrary spell that appeared to be cast over her. End of chapter 29 Recording by Anthony Gerges of the Tide Pod Podcast.